0: Great, please do uh, keep your Bibles open, page 1004, shall we pray, as we start. Lord God, we do pray that um, by your spirit you would uh, open the eyes of our hearts this morning, Lord, that we would uh, see Jesus for who he is uh, and put our trust in him. In his name we pray, amen. Well, it's Dallas, Texas. 22nd of November 1963, and someone with uh, a rifle from a book depository shot a man in a passing car. That's that's true, isn't it? But it's a bit of a thin description, Doesn't, doesn't really give us the full story. How about this? The US president was assassinated. A few more facts there. We know who's been shot, know a bit about the motive, seems to be political, but doesn't seem to describe the full meaning of the event. So what about this? Men everywhere felt that they had looked into the abyss of evil and men wept in the streets. That's a description, isn't it, that goes beyond uh, facts. It hits at the heart, if you like. It takes us deeper into the meaning, the significance, the impact of that event 50 years ago or so. Well, this is an illustration that one writer has used, quite a well-known illustration, to try and help us understand how we should read the Gospels, how we should read Mark's uh, Gospel. Because we should read the Gospels in a manner of that third description, if you like. Because Mark is not simply a great storyteller, he also explains uh, what the stories mean. He's not just a sort of neutral chronicler of historic events, he's also an, an interpreter of those events. You could say that Mark is not just our historian, he's also our theologian. So in writing his gospel, Mark is illustrating the great themes of Jesus' ministry, that there are history and there are events, but there are always, there's always a deeper meaning at play that he's trying to point to. He wants us to know, he wants us to truly know the real Jesus. Not the anemic Jesus that so often we hear preached at church, Not the Jesus of our favourite worship song, Uh, not the Jesus that fits comfortably with the lives that we want to lead, but the authentic, real Jesus. So as we look at this passage this morning, page 1004, Mark 3, we're kind of engaging in a dynamic, sort of multidimensional event. As we look at this passage, it confronts us with issues that go to the heart of Jesus' identity and his mission and it should confront us it should confront our hearts and our minds as well i think there are three confrontations in this passage uh, that we can look at this morning some of them are really briefly described but at the heart of these confrontations are really big and powerful themes uh, the meaning of which mark is trying to convey uh, to us the first confrontation is this first confrontation is this jesus confronts uh, hard hearts The healing of of this man with a shrivelled hand is one of the great, dramatic stories uh, of the New Testament. It's set in the the context of the conflict and the hostility that's been going on, building through chapter 2, and Jesus has been causing big-time controversy, big-time controversy. He's healed a paralytic, told a man his sins are forgiven, eaten with sinners and tax collectors. His disciples have not been fasting as they should. They've been going out and picking corn, making people cross. And in the face, in the face of this controversy, the hostility, the antagonistic questions, they've been building. But then here in the synagogue, Jesus turns the tables. His accusers, they are the ones in the dock, and they have no answer. There are so many brilliant uh, and compelling details that Mark gives us uh, in this passage. So do you see the hint in verses one and two of the kind of the put up job? You know, surely it's no accident that this this man with a shrivelled hand is there. Is that that sense of people watching Jesus closely, almost through narrow eyes, in the hope that the trap they've set is going to ensnare him. So you can imagine, can't you, that electric sense of anticipation when Jesus commands the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone, verse three. He's publicly taking on The challenge, stillness descends. What will Jesus do? Healing was allowed on the Sabbath if a life was threatened, but a shriveled hand, hey, that can wait for 24 hours. It's not really a big deal. Healing involved work. This was well outside uh, what the scribes had created, the rules they created about what was and was not permitted. But Jesus knows what they're thinking, doesn't he? And with nothing more than a powerful word of authority, the hand, it is completely restored. Hardly any work involved. Jesus uses just four words, doesn't he? Verse 5 Stretch out your hands. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Jesus does nothing but speak, but they are powerful words. Of authority, and as, as is characteristic of the gospel miracles, the man is powerfully, instantaneously, absolutely healed. But the heart of this passage is the penetrating question uh, Jesus poses and his deep distress and anger. Just look at verse 4. Jesus asks them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? but they remained silent. That is a question that Jeremy Paxman would be chuffed with. You know, time after time, Mark shows us that Jesus was simply brilliant at asking questions. He's got cross-examination skills a lawyer could only dream of. Jesus asks the so-called experts of the law about the meaning of the law, and there is deafening silence. They have no answer Because in the the detailed and overloaded rules they've created and kind of bolted on uh, to the law, they've lost concern for all human needs. They're more concerned about observing their own obsessive rules than the well-being of someone in distress. This is kind of health and safety culture gone mad, but with a sort of stubborn edge. Is God for health or death? Is it rules or people? If God is for health, how can he deplore the working of good in someone's life, even on the Sabbath? Silence. This is what lies behind the emotion and the anger of Jesus in verse 5. He looked round at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to their man, stretch out your hands. This is a window into the heart of God, isn't it? What Jesus is... God is. And there is great emotion here. Jesus is grieved by the situation. He takes no, no pleasure in the obstinate hardness he finds. But there is also anger. What kindles the anger of God? It's hard, stubborn, blind hearts. I read this week that apparently people are used to keep budgerigars as pets in cages, used to remove the swinging bar that the budgie has in the cage on a Sunday so that the budgie couldn't have too much fun. <laughs> which, which... I don't know, seems a bit harsh, really. <laughs> well, I'd share that. But, I mean, the, 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 heart, the heart of this issue is that it's not the Sabbath. It's not about the Sabbath. What Jesus is doing is he's confronting a mindset or a heart condition, you could say. So, for the religious leaders, the, the Sabbath had become this sort of nationalistic, legalistic, proud sort of badge of religion, if you like. And they'd lost sight of God's goodness, of his generosity, of his grace. And as a consequence, they'd lost, they'd lost sight of human needs and how to respond to it. And so we're left, aren't we, with this deep irony of verse 6. The Pharisees, they object to someone being healed in the Sabbath. But on the same day, they are more than happy to plot the murder of a man with their political enemies, no less. How ludicrous is that? What is it to be hard-hearted? Hard-heartedness was the charge that was laid Uh, by the Old Testament prophets at the door of Israel in the face of her repeated disobedience. It's the theme the writer of the Hebrews picks up, quoting from the Psalms, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Having a hard heart means we become gradually immune to hearing God's call. We don't listen to God's voice. We cut ourselves off from Jesus, and we lose compassion for those in need, yeah, sure, we might be good at putting on a skilled front. We might have that well-polished external veneer. We're ticking the right boxes. God must be impressed. But underneath, our hearts are not really, they're not really committed to a life of true discipleship of Jesus. What is Mark's big, deep point here? It's this: Jesus brings transformation. Mark is showing that Jesus is introducing uh, God's kingdom, and it's not a kingdom of rules. It's not a kingdom of arrogant religion. It's not a kingdom for people who think they are impressive. It is a, a radical new creation. Jesus brings good news to the poor, freedom to the oppressed, healing to the brokenhearted. Jesus brings transformation. Jesus confronts hard hearts. I think the second confrontation is this. Jesus confronts evil spirits. Confronts evil spirits. There's a big scene change, isn't there, in verse 7. We've left the synagogue. Jesus has withdrawn from his disciples. But word is spread and a huge crowd uh, follows him. People are flocking to be healed, verse 10. Where is the the deep meaning, if you like, here. Look at verse 11. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, verse 11, whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. This is not the first encounter that Jesus has had with evil spirits. There's one back in chapter 1 of Mark. And both are very striking in their similarity because the one group that understand the identity of Jesus is evil spirits. It's not the religious hierarchy of the day. It's not the disciples. It's not the crowds. It's evil spirits. They knew they were in the presence of someone greater than themselves. You are the son of God. The words. Illness and evil spirits are distinct, but whether it is the presence of illness or the presence of evil spirits, what is the common thing? Jesus is in control. That is the thread that runs throughout um, the gospel. Jesus has supreme authority and power, and the evil spirits, they recognize that. Verse 12, he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. In the original, there's a kind of a sense of a rebuke here. To the evil spirit. So, in the same way that Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves and brings them to calm, he does the same thing here with the evil spirits. His teaching ministry, Jesus' teaching ministry, has barely started. Now is not the time for all to be revealed, and certainly not by an evil spirit. So, he rebukes them. So, he heals with a word and he silences with, with a word. And throughout his Gospel, Mark just repeatedly highlights that Jesus is in conflict uh, with satanic powers right up to his death. But Mark shows us time and again that Jesus has authority over all the powers of evil. They have no option but to submit to him. I think one of the things that most people, Christian or not, can agree on is this. The world is far from perfect. With the suffering and evil that we know and we see near and far, things are not as they should be. And that's right, this was not the world as God made it to be. But Jesus, he confronts these issues. He confronts disease. He confronts evil. He confronts even death itself. His mission is to restore human life back to all that God intended and created it to be. He's bringing, Jesus is bringing in a radical new creation. A victory over the things that mar uh, God's image, that scar uh, us. Jesus comes to deliver us from every destructive force that enslaves. That is great news that Mark brings. So Jesus confronts hard hearts, he confronts evil spirits. I think finally he confronts human need. He confronts human need. One of the interesting things about this passage is that we have healings, but they don't seem to be the main focus for Mark. They're almost incidental to what is going on, and yet they are still real. So look again at verse 5. Jesus says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Jesus gives a word of command, and the man simply obeys, and Jesus meets his need. It's a matter of obedience to Jesus' word. The same is true with the crowds, isn't it, in verse 10? If you look at verse 10, we see Jesus healed many. Those are the diseases we're just pushing forward to, to get to. And there's a huge crowd. They came from everywhere. But there's no real evidence here, is there, that the crowd had any great spiritual interest, no sense of knowledge of who Jesus uh, was. They simply had a desperate human need. Whatever their need, they flocked to Jesus. What does Jesus do? Jesus responds to them with compassion He meets their needs all through exercising extraordinary power and authority. All that is required is a stretching out of a hand or a touch. And Mark is careful in recording where these people come from. They come from everywhere. Verse 8, they come from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, the regions across the Jordan, around the Tyre and Sidon. They come from all over Israel and beyond. The mission of Jesus was for everyone. How should we understand this? Jesus cares about people. He's concerned with human well-being at every level. But healings are just part of the bigger picture Mark is trying to present uh, in his gospel. The healing work of Jesus is just one demonstration among several that Jesus is introducing God's new creation. The kingdom of God is breaking in. God's rule is breaking in. He's come to bring about a restoration of all things. We've not got time today to think about healings, but I think we know, don't we, the tension of the in-between times that we live in, the time of now but not yet. There is a now. The kingdom of God has broken in. So we long to see Uh, signs of restoration. But there's also a not yet, isn't there? God's perfect kingdom has yet to be fully established. So we have to wait with eager anticipation for that day when Jesus returns, that day when there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain. These things are hard, I think, hard to understand. Nikki and I had friends uh, last year well, our friends now, but their baby, three-month-old baby last year, died of heart failure. And people prayed for healing, but she died a young and a beautiful life. And often we pray and what we crave does not always follow. It's not always easy to accept. But the truth, surely, is this. We can trust God. We can trust God to give us What he knows is in our best interests. And more than that, we can surely know the certain hope we have as Christians of complete restoration, of complete renewal. A hope that is absolutely certain because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, so what is Mark trying to convey from these two accounts? Jesus came to introduce a new kingdom to bring about a radical transformation, to bring about a restoration of all things. Three brief points as we end. First, how is your heart? Jesus confronts hard hearts. We need to pray, don't we, that that God would soften our hearts, humble us, turn us outwards, from preoccupied, self absorbed lives that so often we lead. That instead of that heart of stone, we would have a heart that will enable us to live wholehearted lives for Jesus. I think, second, some of us will be struggling uh, with the presence of evil in our lives, and we need to acknowledge the authority of Jesus. Jesus has all authority and power over evil and even death itself. Augustine put it like this, Satan is tied up like a dog on a chain. Christ was victorious on the cross. Nothing can unravel that. Finally, some of us face desperate human needs. In fact, it's got to be right to say we all face desperate human need because we're all going to die one day. How does this passage say we should respond. Surely it is just like the the man with the shriveled hand does to stretch out our hand. That is all that Jesus asks, that we would turn to him and he will meet our needs. The heart, the bedrock of Jesus' response to sickness and evil and death is the cross. And the shadow of the cross, it falls across the pathway of Jesus, in this passage in verse 6. It is by his own death that Jesus confronts and deals with sickness and evil and death once and for all. Tom Wright, the, the writer, put it like this. On the cross, Jesus completed the healing work he began that day in the synagogue. Jesus is in the business of transforming lives, whoever we are, wherever we are. Will we allow Jesus to take us, to change us, to transform us? William Temple once said this, Christianity is a total commitment of all of me to all I know of Jesus Christ. Christianity is a total commitment of all of me to all I know of Jesus Christ. Surely that is the way that we enter into the transformation of of this wonderful new creation that Jesus introduces. Amen.